Welcome to The Pursuit of Life, where we share inspirational and action-focused stories to help you live a life of adventure. Proudly presented by Knightswood House. Now, please welcome your host, David Hazelwood. So welcome to the Pursuit of Life podcast, and I'm joined today by Denise Ferris, who is one part of the team behind World on Wheels, a fantastic business that uh, helps people go and experience all the things they want to on a motorbike all around the world. So welcome, Denise. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, David. It's wonderful to be here. Now, I've spoken to you briefly and I've looked at the website and have heard stories from people who know you as well. And yeah, it sounds like you have the most amazing life now. It is very amazing. Yeah, it is. So, but I understand you started out somewhat different from that, but I want to go even further back from that and ask you, what did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) Oh, I think there were kind of two things in those early formative years. I think at some stage I wanted to kind of be a journalist and another and around also around that time I also wanted to be a lawyer. I'm a Kiwi so I was born in New Zealand and I remember with journalism part of applying for the course was that you needed to go and do a practical day you know out on a newspaper amongst other things that you needed to do to apply and it was a great part of the process because I did that and having spent a day in that industry just decided it so wasn't for me, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, it's better to do that before you studied. Correct, <laughs> correct. And it's in, but, but, you know, when you're making those choices as a young person in life, it's interesting what little moments in time, you know, sliding doors kind of cause you to close some doors and open others, hey, because I do remember with journalism that, One of the things that really affected me at, you know, I guess I was kind of around 18, 19, was at the time the guys I went out with on the paper were, you know, sticking microphones in the faces of people who were going through really traumatic situations and asking them how they felt. And and I remember standing there thinking, I couldn't do that. You know, I these people are dealing with trauma. At that moment, it was more about the story than it was about how they felt. And yeah, recognising that that wasn't who I was. And so I didn't do journalism. And then, and then hilariously, I had an interest in law, and this always makes me laugh because I thought, yeah, crazy, crazy um, ingredients that make up your, your ignorant decision-making at those ages. And I'm going to think, oh, four years, that's a really long time, you know, to study something. <laughs> and... And that was a big part of my decision making. And so I didn't do law, which is so ridiculous. And I went on to spend six years at university <laughs> doing, I, I ended up doing a degree in psychology. So I did a BA in psychology and then I did a master's in psychology and management. Um, and, but you know, that was why I didn't do law. So those, those were my early interests. I was also a bit interested in social work, but I recognized that because I'm a big feeler, you know, I, I feel I have a lot of empathy and a lot of feelings and I pick up a lot of their feelings and energy around the place. And fortunately for me, I think social work wouldn't have been my gig because I just wouldn't have been able to leave the office at the end of the day and go home and, and leave it there. So it wouldn't have been right for me. But yeah, those were my early interests. Hmm. Wow. And Talk to me about your day job now because I'm having seen the snippets, I'm just so envious. But obviously it's not all glamour and glitz, but um, what do you actually do now? Well, yeah, no, I mean, no job 
no job, no nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing in life is perfect. However, it is a really amazing life. And I don't know if you know the story. If I can divert for a minute, I do want to tell you the story of how because Mike, my husband Mike, set up the business, so he deserves absolute full credit for being the visionary behind World on Wheels. You know, he set this up 25 years ago and no one was doing this when he set it up. So he had an amazing story in his own right, which I won't go into all today, but essentially it was one of those, you know, take a very successful corporate career, take a year off corporate because it doesn't have enough meaning went to Kathmandu, met a guy, bought a motorcycle. He was 37 years old, had never been on a bike in his life. Spent a year riding around, found the highest road in the world and had an amazing set of experiences and came back to Australia and just thought, you know, people need to to know about this. And so he started this very small enterprise with one destination and you know as he would tell the story got a lot of things wrong did you know as you do when you're starting out with anything and it started from there and it's absolutely remarkable you know that 25 years later world on wheels is still going strong we have a a global portfolio and we take people right across the world on a motorcycle so that's how world on wheels began and then the other incredible story in our mutual story is that Mike and I met on a plane about 15 years ago. It does happen. (laughs) It does happen. And we weren't sitting next to each other, which is what everybody asked, you know, and, and you know, the really weird thing, David, is I was 37 and I had never been on a motorcycle. Oh, wow. So it's that ching ching kind of thing about our story and relationship. And I had had a very, very corporate background. I was very corporate. I was the corporate of the corporate. And, you know, had gone into, with my with my psych background, had gone into human resources in business and been really successful and really loved it. And then gone through a stage of a bit of ill health and questioning life. And as I think a lot of people, it's not a given, but a lot of people do find, I think, as they become more and more senior in corporate, that it doesn't provide the meaning that they're looking for in life and their true core values are not as aligned with those of, you know, big organisation and big business. And that's not true of all organisations, but it's true of some. And so they start to look for other things. And so I actually left corporate and set up my own small business doing a lot of leadership executive coaching because I that was the part of human resources that I had loved the most and, and was good at. And I, I did that for a while. And then longer story short, with my ill health, I left Sydney for a little while and then came back and I then joined the not-for-profit sector. I had a beautiful job for a while. I became the CEO of a very small organisation called the Humour Foundation and we put clown doctors into children's hospitals around Australia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Most things about that job were very, very fulfilling for me. And that's what I was doing when I met Mike. And so then it became an interesting situation for me of, you know, I'd always loved traveling and I have an adventurous spirit and, you know, making a really significant choice to then join him in the business and for us to develop the business together and, and go on and create World on Wheels. So our day, we kind of have in Australia, you know, back back home in Australia in the office, typical days, if there's, if there's anything about being typical. And then there's the overseas answer to that question, running a tour. So they're quite different. You know, when, yeah. when we're here, we are involved in 
setting up tours, obviously, so getting ready for the tours that are about to be run and all the organisation that goes into that with our overseas partners and with our clients and customers. We're involved in marketing and promoting and advertising. We're involved in connecting you know, our business is a big relationship business, so we're involved in a lot of connections with people. That's typically what kind of makes up being here. When we're away running a tour, running a safari, you know, it's a very different experience. So most of our tours are three weeks. And for those three weeks, then, you know, there's an itinerary that we're following. There's a group that we're leading and it's a completely different experience. It's really, I mean, it's really magical. And you go into this place where, which I love, where you're completely living in the moment. So you can not know what day of the week it is. You can know not what, know what time it is. And it doesn't matter. You know, you're not, you're not listening to politics on the TV and radio, all of that stuff that can sometimes distract us and our everyday life just kind of falls away. And you're really present. I mean, you, you know as a rider, that when you're on a motorcycle, you need to be really present. And it's one of the things I love about riding a motorcycle because (laughs) I seek to be as present as possible because I think that's the way to live. You know, that's life. That's, that's, That's it. And motorcycling encourages that because it really harnesses you know all of think all of your senses i think and and you need to be as present as possible to be as safe as possible and manage the risk but it's also a it's a different experience when you're when you're riding a a bike yes, as is. opposed to driving yeah. somewhere with through a car isn't it because you you actually get as you said you you use all five senses and you get to smell the the land you're going mm. through and you mm. you feel the the heat and the humidity and the you know the mm. breeze and and all that sort of stuff it's mm. um it is completely mm. different that's beautifully described I, I don't know if you've ever read Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance oh, which actually an incredibly incredibly challenging difficult book to read but I got given it many years ago and and I encourage you and anybody listening to have a look at the beginning of that book so the very one of the first few pages of that book the author describes what you just said um, almost in exactly the same words actually really beautifully how just you know when you're on a motorcycle you are in the moment you are present and how different it is from being in a car where you're surrounded by something and how, as you just said, David, you know, you can smell the smells, you can see the tarmac under your feet, you can feel the breeze on your face. Everything is alive, you know, and that's what life is about. We're here to live and be alive. And so uh, it's probably the same with running. You know, I do I do a bit of jogging. I wouldn't be, <laughs> wouldn't be so bold as to call it running. But, you know, that same sort of – and people have it when they're painting and they have it when they're doing artists and other people have this kind of – real aliveness in other ways but for us as motorcyclists yeah that's that's where it is and so so when we're away overseas you know our our typical day it's so beautiful because it's just about the day you're just thinking about what's happening where you're going for morning tea where you're going for lunch what you're going to be seeing what you're riding through you're completely absorbed in the moment that you're in and yeah, and, and it opens people up, you know, in this really beautiful way. We all know what it's like when we travel. We, we're kind of really open, open-hearted, open-minded, and it's it's a beautiful way to live. It is. I and mean, the only thing that I, I was thinking as you're describing that, because you're, you're basically trying to – you've got a group of people for three weeks, for argument's sake, and they're there to have the time of their life. And that's part of what you, you talk about in your business. 
does it become stressful for you though to try and you know the the pressure of of living up to that expectation and making sure that um, you know everything goes goes right that is a really good question you know i think there's stress involved can be stress involved in anything and not all stress is bad either i don't feel and i don't, i'm pretty sure mike doesn't i don't feel the pressure to deliver on an expectation in the way in the way that i think you're describing and i haven't really thought about it that way until you asked that question which is you know, it's like when we're promoting our tours, which we're about to do in a couple of weeks in Melbourne, is it's it's actually a lovely thing to be selling because you know that anybody who comes on a tour is going to have the time of their lives and you know that they are never, ever going to regret having that experience or spending that money or taking the time. You know, you just know it. And that's a really nice thing to be offering someone because it's not like, you know, selling a widget or or trying to convince somebody of something you know in your heart that if they say yes to this opportunity, then they will never regret it. One of the things I love about what we do is that if you think about, you know, the travels that you've had and, and for our listeners today, people that are listening when you think about those adventures that you've had in life and, and travels that you've had, A, you never forget them, and B, you've always got them. So no, so matter, no matter what life brings, you know, and, and life brings all of us some really challenging stuff, you've always got those things inside of you to revisit and remember. And when you do, they're always uplifting, you know. So this was one of my first experiences, actually, when I met Mike, is, is we went to a barbecue with some friends, and I hadn't joined the business at that stage, and I didn't know Mike that well. And we went to a barbecue, and we met up with some friends who had also done a tour with him, and they'd been to the Himalaya, which is, you know, an amazing destination. And I just watched and listened, and I noticed that they would had done a tour four or five years prior to the barbecue that we were at, but immediately... Immediately, just because Mike was in the room, you know, just because Mike had turned up, they he reminded them of their experience and took them back to that place. And they they were animated and they were alive and they were enthusiastic. You know, they just and and I just watched that and thought, wow, what a what a wonderful gift to give people, you know. And then I've learned since that not only not only is that the gift that's given, but people have that forever, you know. So. We've got we've got a number of clients now who have been our clients for a very long time and they've done a lot of tours with us, with us and some of them, you know, are ageing. And even though they can't ride a motorcycle anymore or they can't do – they've got they've got those experiences in life, you know, they've got those adventures and they'll always have those to think through. And as I, I guess for most of us, the reality, if we're fortunate enough to still be here, is that as we get older – we become less mobile and we're not able to do some of the things that we used to be able to do. And how wonderful to have those kind of movies, you know, those memories stored inside of us that we can revisit when we can't go and do it. And that's part that's part and parcel for Mike and I about why, you know, we do personally what we do because we want to live life while we've got it to live. Yeah, it's a really key thing, isn't it? It's yeah, you know, we were talking, you know, before we started around the fact that you've you've got to do things while you can, because um, you know, as you said, at some point you're not going to be able to. And you know, the the balance, the juggling act that we've all got is, um, you know, kind of how do you live your life now and still make sure that you're doing the things to to look after the future. You know, whether that's time, money, you know, whatever else. But yeah, you we're all living longer, so we've got to prepare for uh, for being able to to look after ourselves for longer and make sure we've got enough money. But you don't want to do that at the expense of 
of not actually enjoying your life as you're going through it. No, you know, and that's that sounds like such a great thing that you help people with, as we were talking about before we started. Of it, it is a balance. You know, it's not about going out and being reckless and spending everything now, but it's also that other side of things. Of you know, you know, I find it interesting that that people still, with all of our intelligence and and all of everything that we have in our current life, most of us don't get it. You know, most of us don't get the fact that that we're going to die. We are dying right now, you know, and I, I, I don't do, I don't do very much, but, but occasionally when I'm home, I do a really tiny little bit of volunteering with a palliative care oh, wow. organization in our community. And, you know, I find it, because I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating that human beings are intelligent. We're, well, we're meant to be. <laughs> we're, meant, we're meant to be intelligent beings, you know, and yet, hello, hello, you know, we're going to die. And it could be could be soon or it could be not so soon, you know, but it is going to happen. And people really, really don't – I know it's been said before and it will be said again in the future, but, but I wish that people got it, you know. I wish that they understood that they are – currently dying because because you make different choices you know you make different choices about how you spend your time how you spend your money what you do with your health what food you put in your body you know what house you put like everything everything changes when when you really get it um well if i back up a little bit if you think about for many people because everyone's living longer now they haven't actually experienced the death of a close relative and yeah i mean i've still you know, so I'm 44 and I've still got one of my grandparents alive. Both, all my parents are alive. And so we haven't had that close experience. But even in the, the language that we use these days, you know, it's almost taboo these days to talk about people dying, you know, to actually use that word. We talk about someone passing. And I hear that and I think, you know, maybe I'm a bit callous, I don't know, but um, it's like, what do they do? Did they pass in the night? Were they passing a ship? Did they pass wind? Did they, you know, it's like we can't actually say it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so how do you how do you face up to your own mortality and confront the fact that, yes, you, you won't be here forever when you can't even mention the word? Yeah, yeah, good point, hey? And interesting, interesting that you haven't personally, you raise a good point, which is, you know, you haven't, personally had that experience and that's what that's what helps people change is when you experience something personally then it becomes real Mm. and for you for you you recognize that it's you haven't had that up close and personal experience can I just say that you that you're very fortunate still though to have just not been um not been up close and personal with death at your age you know it's not it's still not unusual for people to be at that stage in life and have had and maybe maybe not parents or grandparents even, but friends, you know. I've been to a lot of funerals of teenagers, you know. It's just like no, no. I don't. We're not here to get. We're not here to get morbid, but but you know, it's it's more about the point of letting that realness inform the way that you choose to live. You know, that's what it's about. Yes, and it's actually it is interesting. I was actually at a funeral yesterday for a, a friend's dad, but strangely enough, I actually don't mind going to funerals because you hear all the stories about the, and it helps you focus, but you hear all the stories about the things that they did and what everyone talks about and what everyone remembers is the adventures that they went on. You know, I, there was a client whose funeral I went to and it was a few years ago now and um, you know, he was another motorbike guy 
and you know they had a, uh, a whole heap of pictures that they put up of him and his bike in all sorts of crazy places around the world. And you just look and you think, wow, he actually, he really, really lived. And I find that actually really inspiring. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you could do more with your money? Knightswood House is a financial advisory firm that specialises in working with successful business professionals who share a passion for endurance sports or other adventures. People often come to us for one of three reasons. One, they aren't where they imagined they'd be financially at this point in their life. Two, they feel frustrated that they are earning good income but aren't doing more with it. And three, they are concerned that they don't have a strategy to make the lifestyle they're working so hard for feasible, both now and in the years ahead. Underlying all of these are nagging doubts about the future and a concern that they aren't maximising the opportunities created by their hard work. We have a nine-step process we take you through, which will simplify your financial affairs and take much of the hassle out of your hands, provide you with certainty that the strategy you choose to implement is right for you, and finally, get rid of those nagging doubts and give you confidence that you are on track to achieving the things that are most important to you. Ultimately, we can help you leverage your professional achievements into financial success so you can enjoy a life that is truly remarkable. For more details, head to knightswood.com.au. Okay, back to the show. So tell me now, the business, it's been going for 25 years, you said. What's the future hold for it? I guess the the obvious thing is that we won't, you know, we won't be continuing to run it forever. Um, a, a because of based on what we just said, we won't be here. Yes. <laughs> but also, you know, we it, it, the business is at that stage of it's getting towards time of passing it on to someone younger and fresher and different you know, than us. That's that's the normal developmental cycle of a business. Yes. So we are open to, to selling the business and open to, to moving it across to the right person. Having said that, the business itself, you know, one of the things I find so fascinating about travel, and it was also one of those early observations I made when I met Mike and we got together, is with all the changes in technology and all the changes in our world and life, I might be wrong, but it's hard to imagine travel ever ever not being there. You know, like yeah. I can't imagine, and and maybe maybe it will happen, but I can't imagine for a very very long time that that there's ever going to be any substitute for jumping on a bike or a plane or a boat or whatever form of transport people choose and going to other cultures and other places and experiencing the culture, experiencing the food, experiencing the scenery, experiencing all of the richness, you know, that makes up those travel experiences that we all like to have. And I remember saying this to Mike years ago, you know, it's like we're very fortunate to be in a business and in an industry that you can't imagine ever going out of fashion. You know, maybe maybe in the very distant future, everyone will be going to the moon and Mars instead of (laughs) care of Richard Branson, uh, you know. Rather than rather than uh, Bhutan and Antarctica and and uh, you know the Baltics and the Indian Himalaya, but it's hard to imagine, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it certainly is. Yeah, even with virtual reality and things like that. I mean, I know you can you can see things and you can kind of experience it, but I think you're right. The actual fact of jumping on a plane and landing in a foreign country 
if you've never been there before, particularly if you don't speak the language, and there's that real confronting moment where it's like, what do I do? Mm, absolutely, yeah. The confronting and then the opening, yes. you know, the opening up of ourselves. That's that's part of why we all love travel so much because what happens, and you know this because of your travels, what happens when you are away traveling is is that you – you kind of connect with your best person, you know. So you become you become more open, you become more relaxed, you become more generous, you become more curious, you become a whole lot of things that you naturally are, but they just kind of get covered up, you know, in our day-to-day routine and paying the mortgage and doing the job and looking after the kids and caring for our parents and, you know, you know doing the things. That, and that's what's so wonderful about travel is it's so freeing, you know. It just... We feel so free, and that's never that's never going to go out of fashion. So to answer your question, you know, we don't have it all. We don't run our business in that way. We don't have it all mapped out. We don't have our, you know, 10-year strategy kind of – it's not that kind of business. But the future for us – you know, Mike – um, Mike is looking to retire down the track. I'm looking for a new challenge. I don't know exactly what that is yet, but I'm open to something new and fresh, just just for some new stimulation and some new challenge. And and so we're really interested, you know, to find the right person to pass World on Wheels onto because it's too good a thing to let go. And also because of what I've just said, you know, the travel industry will always be – people will always want to travel. And as you and I know, doing it on two wheels is – it's just a wonderful way, you know, to travel. It's it's so free and so open. I have um, one one of the aspects of the future, I suppose, that is there is just in the last couple of years, I have established a new women's only motorcycle safari boutique business called Safaris for the Soul. And yeah, we just we've started running shorter safaris, so just two-week experiences for women that also involve yoga and meditation and, and more of a spiritual aspect as well. And we ran our first one last year to the Indian Himalaya, and it was an amazing, absolutely amazing experience. So we ended up having women from all around the world, literally, and and women aged from 25 to 75, which, you know, was an awesome thing in itself. And part of that boutique business is the way we've set it up is that it's it's involving motorcycles. So people don't have to be a rider because what I've observed over the years is that women feeling confident makes a really big difference to how they are in the world. And there's something about being around, for women being around motorcycles, even if you're not a rider, it's empowering and, it's, and it you know increases your confidence. And something that I thought might happen, and I was delighted that it did, it didn't need to happen, but what ended up happening is the women who didn't ride, you know, who were traveling in our support vehicle, so that's, people can always come on our tours and not be riders and travel in the support vehicle, that's always the way we've done it, but on the on the women's safaris, it's it's a more obvious aspect, and what ended up happening is that those women went, oh, you know, could I, could I have a go on the back? And um, and and, 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 you know what, and they got the bar. You know that's exactly what happened. So what happened is it, it just made me laugh because after two or three days, they they were literally kind of fighting. In the morning, they were fighting over who was you know who was going to wear the gear, who was going to get on the bike, you know. And because because you and I know that's like it's so amazing, right? To be it's exhilarating and it's freeing and it's everything that it is to be on the back of a bike and. Beautiful story. Beautiful story is that one of the women that came on the heavenly Himalaya Sarari was is was actually my mum's bridesmaid. So she's in her early seventies. Wow. 
she very adventurous woman but doesn't ride and anyway she came on the back of my bike on about day two for a couple of hours and she jumped off and she had this huge grin on her face and she said she said to me oh I haven't been on a bike since I was 16 and she said that was just a dream come true and you know it was just amazing because there are men and women you know there's a lot of people that were on a bike younger, but there are a lot of women who went on the back of their boyfriend's bikes, you know, as teenagers, and then and then got into life and got sensible, and it didn't happen again. And oh, it's just the most fantastic thing to have these women experiencing. And you know, there's no pressure; they don't have to, but but that's what they chose to. That's what they wanted to do. And yeah, they all just loved it. Absolutely loved it. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I mean, I just trying to think. I didn't have a background with bikes until I met my now wife and uh, she introduced me to So your wife introduced yes. you. Well, that's a great story. Um, <laughs> and she, she doesn't actually ride, but she loves going on the back and she loves bike racing as well. But yeah, it was one of those things where, uh, yeah, and I was 23, I think. And it was one of those things where I thought, yeah, geez, I'm too old to go and learn how to do this. Like, Surely I should know how to do it or just give up or yeah, not even bother. At the ripe old age of 23, it's like, oh, At 23, my you're not too old to do anything, David. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, but that was what was going on in my head. And, um, uh, and yeah, now I, uh, now I just love it. And it's one of those, um, uh, as you said, the, the experiences you have and the people that you meet just, uh, yeah, just make it, um, make it so much more special. Now, I know you know the um, the business is um, you know, has allowed you to go and do lots of different things and enjoy you know, lots of different amazing experiences. But presumably, there's a downside as well to that. What's what's one of the things that you've um, you've had to give up to to kind of live this what looks like a dream life? I haven't thought about it as giving it up, but I suppose. You know, I guess whenever we make choices, then we let go of other things. One of the realities of the work that we do in the world is that, like like a lot of other people in different ways, that we're not home kind of day in and day out. So you don't have as regular connection with some of your friends and family in the way that you otherwise might, you know. And I suppose that's one of the things that that I'm aware of I've I've always been very grateful to my friends who I haven't, you know, I haven't got a lost any friends or I've maintained the relationships that matter to me over many, many years. And some of that is due to the effort that I put in because it's important to me, but, but some of it is also due to my friends being adaptable, you know, to the fact that I'm not here all the time. And recognising that if if I was here, I I would be, you know, at the birthday or I would be supporting them in a particular way, but I'm away overseas. I remember, this is not something I carry around, but your question has reminded me, you know, there was a number of years ago where my dad was going through a particularly tough time and it happened to be over Christmas and I was running a tour of um, Nepal at the time and you know, I was on the phone to my mum. So I'm, I'm running a tour and doing everything that you're doing. And I'm on the phone to my mum at the time, who's dealing with my dad being in a really difficult circumstance. And personally, I just wish that I was back in New Zealand, you know, at that time. It's like, that's where I really wanted to be, my, where my heart wanted to be. And I wanted to be supporting my mum and my dad. But I had a job to do. 
and I was in Nepal and I was running a tour. And so that's, it's not, I don't know if that's sort of giving up, but you know what I mean? It's That's one of the things that's, that's challenging is that particularly when you're overseas, you can't necessarily just be somewhere in an instant. And you have, yeah, you know, I think you know this too, you know, the more responsibility that you take on in life, then then sometimes you have to make hard choices. I mean, I often think about, you know, people like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and people people who are doing really big work in the world and Nelson Mandela, you know, he used to talk often about how he, he wasn't there for his family. And I think that's a really difficult thing. So I don't I don't feel that in this obviously in the same way that he did, but you know, I've got amazing, gorgeous nephews in New Zealand and my brother and his wife and my mum and dad and I'm not there as often as I could be and that's probably hard for them, you know, as well as for me, because travel is part of my job and I've got other friends in the travel industry, you know, who are in the same they're in the same boat. It's like you can't you can't be everywhere at once and so you have to choose. Um yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's, as you say, it's a decision that you make and, you know, yes, there are downsides to it. I suppose the proximity is certainly one thing, but if you think about how easy it is to get caught in uh, for all of us, even when we are living nearby to relatives and things like that, the fact that they're always there, you can also take for granted and may not necessarily maintain such a close connection anyway. Well, absolutely, and and I think in answering your question, you know, the other the other side of that is, which is very true, and I, I guess in reality I prefer it is, it also makes you really appreciate the time that you get. So you know, even Mike and I, Mike and I don't spend as much time together as maybe some partners who are seeing each other all day every day, but it means you appreciate each other, and I really appreciate the time that I spend with my family, and I really appreciate the time that I spend with my friends and, you know, and appreciate them as people because I don't take them for granted. So you don't get in a rut, and I don't take it for granted, and it's kind of back to the Zen thing that we were talking about before is consciousness. You know, it's you're just more conscious of the fact that you're spending time with this person and you don't get to do it all the time, and I do really like that way of living. So I don't mind that part of it. It makes you more conscious and more grateful, you know, and those those are really important things in my world. So No, no, that's really good. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot again. I'm going to ask you, because obviously you've done lots of travel to lots of different places. What would be one of the standout experiences for you? One of the, the things that you look back on and you think, I cannot believe that, that we did that or something that you know it might have been you know kind of a little thing in the grand scheme of what you've done but it just that experience just sticks with you oh david <laughs> it's, it's like trying to choose your favorite child but we all have one oh, oh. Oh, oh, it's even harder because because most people have, have got less than six children yeah. and i have <laughs> oh that's really hard and you know what's interesting is because I, I am in the early stages of writing a book and it makes you kind of think about, you know, all of these kind of moments and times and stories. And and it does make you reflect on just, as you said earlier, what an amazing life. Like what an Because on tour, I'm not exaggerating, on tour, every day there is an amazing experience. You know, there is, there is something that happens every single day. You just go, wow. Wow, we we take people to places that we love, so we don't go to places that we don't love. If we didn't love them, we wouldn't go there. And so, 
all of the destinations that we visit are really amazing. They are all really different. So they offer different things in different ways. And when people are choosing a safari destination, I just say to them, you know, different places speak to you at different times. And so what might be my favourite might not be the one that speaks to you at this time. And so, you know, watch our DVD or have a look at things and, and you will know what's right for you for this time. Having said that, when people force me to answer like, <laughs> like, like you're gently doing. I do find myself saying that the Indian Himalaya, for me, there's something about India. For, pe- for the people that have been there that are listening, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And for, pe- for people that haven't been there yet, there's something about India that gets under your skin. So India is not what people think it is. I mean, yes, there is the poverty and yes, there is the the grime and the squalor and the, the you know, the uncomfortable things that people see. That is all true. But there is so much more to India than people realise. The people are really, really amazing. And I was just listening to something in the weekend actually with um, Tony Robbins and his wife Sage were doing an interview of um, Michael Singer, who's written this amazing book called The Untethered Soul. And they were talking about India and, you know, Tony Robbins with all of his experiences and everything. And he was saying that he can't get over how in India there are so many people who have so little and yet they are so happy. And, you know, he spent a lot of his life talking to people who are rich and successful and trying to understand what made them rich and successful and trying to help other people do that. And he said, you know, the reality is that most of those really rich people that I've spoken to aren't that happy. And so for me in answering your question, it's definitely India. There is something, I think India can teach us a great deal. And, you know, I think I think the answer for us as a world going forward is, is the this integration of the East and the West because India doesn't have all the answers and neither does the West, but it's the integration of the two. And the way that there is just this joy, there is this beautiful joy with the people in India and generosity and gratitude where, you know, I'm sure you've found this in your travels too, that it's absolutely a universal truth that the less people have, the more generous they are. And Mike and I often talk about this, you know, we come home and I, I don't claim that we've, I don't, we haven't got this, we haven't nailed it at all. <laughs> I sit, I'm sitting here looking around at all of our stuff going, we, we so haven't nailed it. You know, that we have every year of our lives experienced the incredible generosity from often complete strangers on the side of the road who give you so much. And, you know, I say to Mike, like, we wouldn't, we're home in Sydney on the northern beaches. We wouldn't just invite a stranger off the street to come into our home and have a cup of tea, you know, or, but that's, but that's what people do for us overseas. Like, we've had lots of examples of, of clients being invited in for soup and coffee and tea and, you know, and, and people just, people are buzzing, you know, like they just go, they're so touched. They're so touched by those connections. So for me, it's definitely the India, India and the Indian Himalaya. And I suppose that's that's really what I was thinking of. It's those it's those little moments, the the completely unexpected, the the generosity, that but the human connection that you have. Yeah. Yeah, let me check. there's there's just one that, that comes to me that I'll just share br- really briefly is we for many years have sponsored three girls who live in a tiny little village in the Himalaya called Dacha. It's a tiny little speck. It's not even on some maps. It's very remote. And 
to give you an example of what I what I was just talking about is they they run a little tea stall, you know, so it's corrugated iron, and it's wooden chairs, and they're only there for the months of the year that the, the weather allows them to be, uh, and they make as much income as they can, and then they kind of go and bunker down with all their extended family in a in a dwelling nearby. Um, so right, they run this tea stall, and we've known them for many, many years, and you know they're family for us. We consider them family, and we love them to bits. We go there every year, and they will you know, make us chai and, and I always prep the group and say and tell them the story and go, okay, so our job this morning is to go and buy as many biscuits and tea and knitted woolen gloves and hats that you'll never wear again that you don't need. <laughs> <laughs> because because that's our way of supporting them, right? And so and it's so hilarious yeah. because that's what we do. So we turn up and they they hand knit all of these amazing mittens and hats and everything, and we we all buy them and we buy them for the kids and the grandkids and anybody we can think of. So we'll do that and we'll spend as much time there as we can, and the girls will serve us all tea and and you know they're just so gracious and so beautiful. And then I'll go to pay and they'll go, no, 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 no. And like I, I have to fight. I have to, <laughs> I have to fight every time to pay for my group's cup of tea, you know. And, and it's like you've got nothing. You've got nothing. And the 15 people that are here, you know, we've all got so much. And yet like it's so, you know, it's not contrived. Like it's just so genuine for them. They just, that's the way of being able to thank us for the for the other support and to go, no, and of course I don't take any, take any notice and, and, you know, we pay triple. But that to me, that's my answer to your question, you know, which is there's lots and lots of those small, genuine moments. And we've had them in other countries too where we haven't been motorcycling. Mike and I visited Iran a few years ago and we were deeply touched, deeply touched by the kindness of the Iranian people. And it wasn't what we were expecting. You know, we had the same experience in a cafe. We just went in to have dinner. And it was just because we were Australian. They they were so happy that we were visiting their country. We had a simple kebab or something for dinner and the owner didn't want us to pay, you know. And, and it's interesting because Mike and I talked about it later. I ended up paying because I, I wanted to, you know, I felt for the same reasons I've just outlined. It's like, but I've got so much and you've got so little. I, But actually I went away later and I thought, do you know what? I, I wish that I hadn't done that. I wished I had have received his generosity because, because I shut down his generosity in some way. It was a real teaching, real learning for me because he just wanted to be generous, you know, and he wanted to give and he, he was so happy that we were there. And yeah, I wouldn't do that the same next time. I would, I would receive his generosity because, because I know how you know when I want to give someone something, if they say no to that, that doesn't make that's that's not okay. <laughs> that's not, you know, you're stopping the flow. Well, you stop, yeah, you're stopping the flow in some ways. So, yeah, there are lots of, lots of those really, really simple, beautiful moments in Turkey and India. But I've had so many more of them in India where, you know, I guess that's not, for people that haven't been to India, that's not what, when they're listening now, that's not what they're expecting to hear. You know, that's not the perception that you have of India. It's not the perception that you have of Indian people. But that's, yeah, that's the reality. And it's just an exquisite experience, absolutely exquisite. Wow. Well, Denise, I'm really conscious of your time and uh, I want to thank you for uh, you know, for sharing so much with us. Before you go, though, there's one thing that I do ask all the guests on the show 
And that's um, something that they can challenge the listeners to do over the next week. So this will take you back to your uh, HR and leadership days, but also, um, you know, thinking about, you know, just thinking about what you've done, jumping out of corporate, going and, you know, jumping on the back of a motorbike and never looking back and, uh, and all those experiences. What would you be able to challenge people to do in the next week that you think could have a, a difference to them in their life? Well, the thing the thing that comes to me in this moment, and I will be doing it myself because I don't ask people a question if, I, if I'm not up for it myself, is to ask ourselves, where in our lives are we not feeling whole? So where are we feeling out. I, with my safaris with the sole business, I'm, you know, thinking, working a lot around, I think, and the soul is not used in a religious sense, it's just used in a kind of a truth. We all have, we all have a truth, we all have a voice that speaks to us and, and we know when we're living in line with it and when we're living out of line with it. And so my question is to connect with your soul or whatever, or your truth or whatever, you know, whatever word works it doesn't matter the word doesn't matter to connect with your with your truth your core and to ask where where are you out in your day-to-day life where are you not living in alignment with that where are you not feeling whole and just listen to the answer rather than feeling the need to create the answer just listen to the answer and then to then ask yourself well, what's just one little thing one small simple thing that I could do today that would help me to move towards that wholeness. Because often we think it's the really big things, um, and I'm talking to myself here as much as I'm talking to anyone listening, is is often we think it's the really big grand gestures and big grand choices, but life's made up of a whole lot of really small, simple choices every single day. Um, that's my question. That's fantastic. Thank you. And I'm, I'm just writing that down as we speak, so... So I can go and do that too. Denise, thank you very much. I, uh, I was really looking forward to having a, a conversation with you and, um, yeah, I've really, really enjoyed it. I'm now, you know, just about to go and have a look at, uh, at your website again to go and have a look at all the pictures and, uh, and try and work out where can I squeeze some time in between running and riding and kids and things like that to go and, <laughs> to go and get on one of those. Too. Make, make the time, David. Make I the know. time. Yeah, Time. We'd love to have you join us. And thank you very much for this opportunity. It's been an absolute delight. Uh, absolute thank delight you. you. Now, if people want to uh, want to get a hold of you and uh, and have any follow-up questions or anything like that, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, yeah, our website is worldonwheels.tours and all of the information is on there. So everything that people want to know is on there, including email contact. And also for women who might be interested in the Soul Adventure safarisforthesoul.com.au is the website and similarly email contact in there. We're delighted to to talk with anybody about any questions they've got. Fantastic. Thank you. And I'll make sure all of that is in the show notes as well. Beautiful. Denise, thank you. It's been a pleasure and uh, I hope we can catch up at some stage soon. Look forward to that, David. All the best. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Pursuit of Life. To learn more about how Knightswood House can help you live your life of adventure whilst planning your future, visit knightswood.com.au.